morning. So I thought I would begin by giving you a little thumbnail sketch of what I think of our health care system. <laughs> uh, first of all, we do not have a health care system in this country. We have a disease management system uh, <clears throat> that is functioning very imperfectly and getting worse by the minute. And especially sad is the fact that the diseases that we're trying to manage are mostly diseases of lifestyle uh, that could have been prevented if people made better choices early enough about how to eat, how to rest, how to handle stress, how to be physically active, and all the rest of it. We spend more per capita on health care than any people in the world by a long shot. If you were to look at a bar graph of per capita expenditures of NATO nations uh, on health, our bar would be off the chart. At the same time, we have poorer health outcomes than any other developed country. The World Health Organization rates us 38th on a par with Serbia. And that's any way you look at it. It's infant mortality, longevity, rates of chronic disease. I mean, what is wrong with this picture? We're spending more and more on our health, and we have less and less to show for it. We're now spending something like 18% of our gross domestic product on health. That's predicted to go up to 20%. That is going to sink us economically. It is absolutely unsustainable. It would be, I hope that the whole system doesn't have to crash in order for us to do something better, but it may. You know, it may be, it's getting worse by the minute, it may be that the whole system will have to crash. Um, the challenge, well, for, for the question is why is healthcare so expensive? Uh, the first reason is that it is all oriented toward disease management, not prevention, and we have to ask ourselves. I think a really hard question is why can't we do a better job at promoting health and preventing disease? I'm afraid that has a very simple answer. They don't pay. And until we can figure out how to make prevention pay, we're not going to get anywhere. And secondly, we are trying to manage diseases by relying on expensive technology. And I include pharmaceutical drugs in that category. And a lot of the cost of healthcare is because healthcare professionals, doctors especially, are not trained in low-tech, in other low-tech methods for managing common health conditions. Uh, the last book that I wrote is called Mind Over Meds, about the problem of over-medication. I went through the categories of medications that I think are most overused and misused today. And in each chapter, I mean, I look at things like... Uh, the drugs being used for gastroesophageal reflux, for antihistamines, for over-the-counter cold, for cold remedies, for antidepressants, for psychiatric medications. And in each chapter, at the end, I give examples of what an integrative approach to these conditions would be. I'm not opposed to the use of medication, but I think medication, when it is used, has to be used in the context of an integrative treatment plan that includes many other modalities and especially emphasizes lifestyle changes change. And this is, you know, clearly where you come in as health coaches of the future. One of the great practical problems that I see we have in medical research is that when we test drugs, we test them against placebos. It would be much more useful if we tested them against lifestyle interventions. You know, that would be much more interesting information, and we don't do that at the moment. <laughs> now, Here's the very sad fact. As dysfunctional as this so-called healthcare system is, it is generating rivers of money. 
And that money is flowing into very few pockets. It's the pockets of the big insurers, the big pharmaceutical companies, and the manufacturers of medical devices, who I'm told are actually worse than the pharmaceutical companies. And these vested interests have total control of our elected representatives. It does not matter if you're Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative. You can't get elected to office in this country unless you have made deals with those vested interests. And that means there is no possibility that change can come from the government. The only way that I see change happening is if a grassroots social political movement starts in this country in which enough people get angry enough about the situation as it is and we begin to elect different kinds of representatives who have not made those deals with those vested interests. And I've always felt that enlightened healthcare professionals could catalyze that movement. So <laughs> it's up to you. You know, every, every graduating class of our integrated medicine fellows at the University of Arizona, I give them this challenge to know that it's up to you to help start this movement. You have to begin talking to your colleagues, to your patients, you know, to get them to see what the situation is and how we have to change it. Doctors, by the way, are as unhappy as patients are today. You know, I would say almost every patient I know who has had an encounter with our health care system in the past couple of years has been really, really unhappy. Uh, and I, but I have to tell you that doctors are equally unhappy. When I went into when I went to medical school in the late 1960s. Medicine looked like a very good choice of profession. Uh, it offered the promise of being autonomous. You could be your own boss. You know, you had the respect of, of uh, people. Uh, all that has disappeared in the age of for-profit medicine. I hear so many doctors say today that they wish they'd gone into another profession, that they wouldn't let a son or a daughter of theirs go into medicine today. This is a huge change. And frankly, I think doctors should be marching in the streets at the moment. They are as much victims of the system as anyone else is. And I don't see that kind of action happening there either. So I'm trying to get everybody riled up. <laughs> That's the only way it's going to change. All right, now, um, let me talk to you a little bit about the philosophy of integrative medicine because I think this is the future, and you are all, you know, certainly a, a part of that. Uh, the the base, the first principle of integrative medicine is to honor the human organism's potential for healing itself. You know, the intrinsic healing mechanisms of the human body, and I think one of your jobs as health coaches is to increase confidence of patients and clients in their body's ability to take care of itself. Most people I meet do not have that sense. Um, you know, to me, the most wonderful fact of human biology is that our bodies can maintain themselves, repair themselves. There is, There are so many things out there and so many things in here that can go wrong, and yet most of us are mostly healthy most of the time. That is amazing. And that is a tribute to the body's intrinsic mechanisms for maintaining equilibrium, for maintaining health. Uh, and, you know, and this is, this, is, uh, this is, to me, the biggest piece that was missing from my medical education, that I really learned nothing about the nature of health, the nature of healing, how to promote those in people. Uh, you know, when a kid gets a cut, it is very easy to direct his or her attention to that and plant the seed of observing the body's healing mechanisms in action. And what you see on the surface of the body there goes on at every level of biological organization. The DNA molecule is just a big molecule on the interface of life and non-life. 
that molecule has within it the potential to know that it's been injured by a cosmic ray, for example, that knocks a piece of it out. And instantly, it begins making repair enzymes to cut out the damaged piece, to synthesize a new piece and put it back in. It's cut and paste on a molecular level. And you can see that same principle as you go up. You see it in organelles and cells and tissues and organs in the whole organism. And I think that having that strong sense, confidence yourself, in the healing power of nature and being able to convey that to people you come into contact with is the most valuable thing that you can do. Over the years, I have had many patients who have come back to me and said that in retrospect, the most important thing that I did for them was that I was the only doctor they ever saw who told them they could get better. I mean, in a way, that makes me very sad. But, you know, on the other hand, that is a very powerful message that as a person trained in healthcare, to be able to tell a person, and I'm not, you know, often I will say to a, to a patient, I know you can get better. I don't know exactly how you can get better, but I'll give you things to try and I'll point you in directions. You're going to have to experiment, but I know that it's possible for you to get better. That's a very powerful message to give. But there's another problem that I think is much less appreciated that you should be aware of, and that is almost all of the medications that we use are counteractive in nature. They counteract physiological processes. And one way you can get a sense of this, if you look at the names of categories of drugs that we use in medicine, almost all of them begin with the prefix anti. You know, it's antispasmodics, anticonvulsants, antihypertensives, anti this, anti that. The counteractive medications have their place. If the body is very badly out of balance, it is nice to have agents that will rapidly put it back toward the balance point. But once you achieve that, it is important to back off the use of that medication because if you continue to use it, you run into a problem that is so obvious but that so people so often do not appreciate. It's what I call the homeostatic trap. You know, homeostasis is the body's is a basic principle of physiology. It's the body's tendency to remain in place. That's literally what the word means. If you push against an organism with an outside force, it pushes back in order to maintain equilibrium. So if you use a counteractive drug for any length of time, the body is going to push back against it. And over time, that pushback can get you into worse trouble than you had to begin with. And I'll give you a couple of quick and obvious examples of this. The one that I think most people can connect with is if you've ever used a nasal decongestant spray. You know, you, your nose is clogged up, you can't breathe, you spray something in it, miraculously your nose opens, and depending on which drug it is, two or four hours later, your nose closes up again. And if at that point you use another dose of the drug, it is very easy to slide into dependence on it. You can't breathe without it. And over time, the drug becomes less effective and you have to use more and more of it more frequently. So this, look at the same thing, even a worse problem with the acid suppressive drugs that we use to treat gastroesophageal reflux. You know, we identify the problem as being too much acid in the stomach, which often it is not. And we have these powerful drugs that show off acid production. So if you shut off acid production, what is the body going to try to do? It's going to try to make more acid. So if you try to reduce the dose or stop it, there's an outpouring of acid that, produ that greatly intensifies the symptoms that you had to begin with. 
It is extremely difficult to get off these drugs once you start them. So much so that I would say that people should never start on them, except for very rare cases, you know, conditions like Barrett's esophagus and things of that sort. And most people are put on these with absolutely no warning of that problem of dependence. And then when they try to reduce the dose, and symptoms gets much worse, this convinces them, oh, I guess I have to stay on it. They were never intended for long-term use. They have uh, growing numbers of problems associated with them, including increased risks of cancer, of dementia, of interference with absorption of nutrients. But the, this really problem of dependence is very severe. It is not easy to get off of these drugs. Um, the, so that, that is a clear example of the homeostatic trap. By the way, there was an article, uh, a study done a few years ago, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, in which they took a group of young, healthy uh, males, I think in their 20s, who had no GI problems, put them on one of these agents for, I think it was six weeks, then stopped it, and all of them developed reflux. So the drug caused the problem it is meant to solve. Now, you can see the same thing, even less obvious, with antidepressant drugs, with the SSRIs. So these drugs increase, the theory is that depression it has to do with decreased serotonin in the brain, which may not be the case. And so you give drugs that increase serotonin at neural junctions. So if you do that, how is the body going to respond to that? It's going to make less serotonin, and it's going to drop serotonin receptors. So over time, if you try to stop it, you have worse depression than you had to begin with. And this is a recognized phenomenon now. It's called tardive dysphoria, meaning lingering bad mood due to the drug. So if you give one of these drugs for, say, a year, in, depression is prolonged or intensified in most cases. And not only that, they don't even work that well. You know, there start to be data coming out that you can't distinguish the SSRI antidepressants from placebos in drug testing. And when that started to come out, the people who were very committed to the use of these drugs got very upset and said, well, maybe that's true for mild depression, but it's certainly not true for moderate or severe depression. Then it was shown that in moderate depression, you could not distinguish SSRIs from placebos. So the drug proponents retreated to the positions well for severe depression. No, they're useful. In severe depression, you can't distinguish them. A study came out showing that even in very, very severe depression, the drugs don't work any better than placebos. And they prolong the condition that they're meant to, to stop. So, you know, it is, it is very important to help make people aware of that problem. Most people have no sense of it. You know that the medication that they're on may actually be intensifying or prolonging the condition for which they're taking it. You, however, should never stop taking a medication suddenly. You know, you should not even begin to attempt to get off of something unless you have other things in place to manage the condition, and then you develop some schedule of weaning off of it. You know, one of the worst categories of drugs to try to get off of are the benzodiazepines, the drugs that are used for anxiety. Uh, terrible dependence, worse than opioid dependence. Again, given out like candy with no information about that, and that is a very, very tough one to get off of and cannot be done without help and without instituting other, other measures. There are there are some safe uh, anti-anxiety agents like kava, although they're they're like little pop guns compared to a cannon compared to you know a benzodiazepine. But nonetheless, they're helpful. There is the relaxing breath that I'm going to go over with you before I stop talking. But you have to do all these things first before you even attempt to cut down the dose of a benzodiazepine, and then you have to cut that according to some you know very careful schedule and then not be afraid to go back up on it if symptoms develop. But these are all things that you should be aware of. 
Now, how do we, how can we encourage people to make better lifestyle choices and discourage them from making poorer ones? Um, first of all, as health coaches, I think there are two main strategies that you have. The first is that you have to exemplify healthy living. You, know, you have to be living examples for people of healthy behavior. Really, really important. Uh, you can't tell people to eat well if you don't eat well. You can't tell people to exercise if you don't exercise well. One strategy that I find to be very useful is to encourage people if they want to change their habits, to spend more time in the company of people who have the habits they want. You know, if you want to be more physically active, spend more time in the company who have good habits of physical activity. I mean, that's very simple. And another is I would encourage you to really become familiar with and master the technique of motivational interviewing, which I find to be very, very helpful. You know, a technique in which you dialogue with a client and identify what they perceive as obstacles to making change and then finding ways to overcome them. And I think you know, it's also useful to think about what we can do as a society to encourage people to make better choices and not make worse ones. And here we do a terrible job. And also the problem, again, is the influence of the vested interests. And I'll just give you a couple examples of what I mean. You know, we, people eat what's cheap and what's available. We have made the unhealthiest food cheapest and most available. We have done that, one way we've done that is by subsidizing commodity crops like soy and corn, which is why products like high fructose corn syrup and refined soybean oil, two of the worst you know, things that are out there, are now ubiquitous in processed and refined and manufactured food. We've made them cheap. We've made them cheap through government subsidies. We don't subsidize fruits and vegetables, which are out of the reach of many most poor people in this country. I mean, that's a simple thing that we could change if there was enough grassroots support to overcome the influence of the vested interests who are making out from those subsidies. Uh, a few years ago, I, at last I checked, something like 46% of hospitals in this country have fast food restaurants on their premises. Uh, a few years ago, I got a letter from a first-year medical student at the University of Pennsylvania uh, he had tried to get him, started a campaign to get a McDonald's restaurant out of the university hospital. He got a petition up, got signatures from his classmates, got publicity in the Philadelphia papers, and then was called in by the dean of students who told him that if he persisted in this, he would jeopardize his medical degree. And that's the problem right there is the hospital had signed a deal with the devil. You know, this is a source of revenue, and anything threatening that was seen as a bad thing. And so you're going to run up against everywhere, you know, everywhere you go. And again, the only way that can be broken is if people get angry enough and we really start seeing how things are and begin electing people who are not beholden to those vested interests. Um, one... And I think we should be experimenting as a society both with incentives and disincentives. Um, as an example of a disincentive, the state of Alabama, which I think had the worst rate of obesity in the country, may still, uh, a few years ago instituted a fat tax on state employees. If, if state employees who are overweight did not lose a certain amount of weight in a specified time, they forfeited their health benefits. I mean, that's a pretty drastic step. But, you know, I think we should be experimenting with things like that to see if they work, because we're in pretty bad trouble here. As, as examples of, of incentives, positive incentives, I can think of two novel ones that we haven't tried. One is to make healthy lifestyle choices more fun. 
If you have not seen a uh, oh, this website, I encourage you to go to it because it's one of the best things I've seen in recent years. It's thefuntheory.org. It was an ad campaign of Volkswagen Sweden, and it's a series of videos. There may be new ones up there now, but the first one was of a subway station in Stockholm at rush hour. And you see people getting off the trains, and there's an escalator and a flight of stairs. Nobody goes up the stairs. Everybody goes up the escalator. Then you see a team of engineers come in, and they rip out the, the stairs, and there's all this wiring and stuff going on. And when they finish, they have converted the staircase into what looks like a piano keyboard with alternating black and white keys. So it's morning rush hour again. Everybody gets off the train. Everyone's taking the escalator, but people start looking over at this curious thing and one person goes up and puts his foot on the thing and it makes a really loud tone and actually plays like a piano so pretty soon everybody's experimenting with it and soon everybody is running up and down the stairs and playing music and nobody's taking the escalator i mean brilliant i mean that is a strategy we have not attempted country really follow fashion and if we could get an organized campaign uh, you know of celebrities of sports figures uh, people in different media influencers to get together to to be to be you know to talk about why healthy living is a good thing, why it is important in their life if we could get a, a fashion movement around health going in this country that might be a good thing that we could try so we are in such bad shape here, you know, that I think we have to be experimenting with everything, both positive and negative. With regard to nutrition, I mean, I could talk the whole time to you about that because it's one of my favorite subjects. The total instruction I got in nutrition in four years at Harvard Medical School was 30 minutes, which were grudgingly allowed to a dietitian to tell us about special diets we could order for patients. Uh, that has not changed much since I've been out of medical school. However, there have been a couple of all prominent editorials in the AMA Journal and the New England Journal of Medicine calling attention to the incredible deficit of nutrition education in, in medical school and demanding changes in that. So there's hope out there. Um, but we have a long way to go. You, you know, we're in such a nutritional mess in this country. Uh, it's hard to know even where to start. If I were going to start someplace, I would try to work to get people not to drink sweet liquids. If we could get that one step, it would put us so far ahead of the curve. And I'm not just talking about soda. You know, it's also fruit juice, which is basically the same as soda. It's energy drinks. It's putting sugar in coffee and tea. If we could just get that idea across, that it is not a good idea to drink sweetened liquids, that would be a huge advance. So that's, you know, something that you might work on. There's so many things that I could uh, could talk to you about. I mentioned that you know the first basic philosophical principle of integrative medicine is this uh, emphasis of the body's intrinsic healing mechanisms. The second one is whole person medicine, and that's something that you really want to own. And that means that 
human beings are not just physical bodies. We are also mental, emotional beings. We're spiritual entities, community members. Those other dimensions of human life have to be taken into account in understanding health and illness. So in your training, you know, yes, you want to understand about the physical body, but you really want to understand how the mind affects the body, how, you know, why the gut is called the second brain, you know, why uh, GI function is crucially dependent, on, interrelated with mental, emotional states, for example. Uh, and the, th the third very important uh, philosophical principle is lifestyle medicine. And this is centrally relevant to your mission in the world. And I think that emphasis uh, on lifestyle medicine and integrative medicine really puts us in a very strong position to promote health and to prevent illness. And in much more so than, than conventional medicine can do. You know, in, uh, in the field of preventive medicine until very recently, the focus has been very narrow. It's been on stuff like immunization and public sanitation. I mean, that's fine, but that's not the meat of prevention. You know, the meat of prevention is lifestyle choices and, and teaching people how to make better ones rather than worse ones. I'll give you just one example of what I mean. You know, I'm, I'm a great believer in education, and I think that part of, of our mission really depends on really good health education from K through 12 and on up beyond that. And that's not hard stuff. You know, it's things that the idea that the body can heal itself is something that could be easily taught to very young children. Um, I, 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 so I think that, you know, health education is, is a crucial aspect. And here's one example of something I put in it. Most, many people I meet do not know that all of your bone density and all of your muscle mass are built up early in life, you know, up pretty much up through the late 20s. After that, you cannot make new bone and new muscle. It's all downhill from there, I'm sorry to tell you. And that is the slow loss, which is very important. But I think if people understood that all the muscle you have for life and all the bone you have for life are built up in that early period, that would be motivation to make lifestyle choices that favor the development of maximal bone mass and muscle mass. You know, not doing things like smoking and drinking soda and doing the right kinds of exercise and all of that and getting the right kinds of, of nutrition. So that's an example of what I mean as a sort of you know, basic point of health education that you could begin teaching to very young people that might make a difference. And I hope that you will all be educators as well as practitioners. I'd like to, uh, before I close and take questions from you, I want to go over this very simple breathing technique that I have become known for, the 478 breath. I assume many of you are familiar with it, but I, let me just talk to you about it. A yogic technique, thousands of years old, but I learned it from an elderly osteopathic physician, Dr. Robert Fulford. I was lucky enough to work with him towards the end of his life, he was in his 80s, he was probably the best healer that I've ever met, placed great emphasis on the power of breath. And he taught me this technique, which I've taught to thousands and thousands of other people. But I have to tell you, this is, this, to me, this is a perfect example of something that integrative medicine can do. It can look around the world and bring into the mainstream techniques that are low cost, I mean this one is free, that have almost no potential for harm and can be incredibly effective and aren't even on the radar of conventional medicine. So I did not learn about the power of breathing 
in my medical studies. Now, I learned about the anatomy of the respiratory system, diseases of the respiratory tract, but I learned nothing about breath as the key controlling the autonomic nervous system, uh, as a master regulator of emotional states, let alone as a, as a spiritual undertaking. And all of that I learned later in life from two areas. One was from studying yoga. There's a whole division of yoga called pranayama that deals with the movement of energy and breath. And also from working with osteopathic physicians and the old time ones that used manipulation as a primary uh, technique and placed a great deal of emphasis on breathing. So the theory of breath work is that you know, breathing is the only thing that you can do completely consciously or completely unconsciously. It's run by two different sets of nerves and muscles, by voluntary nerves and muscles and involuntary nerves and muscles. And the theory is that by using your voluntary system to impose rhythms on the breath, you gradually induce those in the involuntary nervous system. And breathing work, it, the breath work is a practice. It's like water cutting the Grand Canyon. It's the it's the constancy of doing this that produces, a, you know, a great change. It's not how intensely you do it at the moment. It's doing it regularly. You're putting a signal into your nervous system, and over time, you change the the tone of the nervous system. So, uh, in in this breath, I'll describe it to you, then I'll demonstrate it to you, and then we'll do it together. Uh, in this exercise, first of all, in yoga breathing, you're asked to keep your tongue in the yogic position, which is touching the tip of the tongue to the ridge of tissue behind your upper front teeth. Like that. They say that makes a contact that keeps the energy of the breath within. I have no idea what that means in terms of Western physiology, but they invented it, so we should do it the way they say. Uh, in this exercise, you're going to breathe in quietly through your nose to a count of four, and you're going to blow air out forcibly through your mouth, around your tongue. You'll figure out how to do that to a count of eight and hold your breath for a count of seven. So the, the exercise begins by letting all the air out through your mouth. Close your mouth, breathe in through your nose to a count of four. Hold your breath for a count of seven. Blow air out through your mouth to a count of eight. And you do that for a total of four breath cycles. So I'll demonstrate this to you. Just watch, and then uh, we'll do it together, and I'll count for you. So it looks like this. after I do that because this produces a very pleasant altered state of consciousness that, that I would rather stay in. Uh, you may not get that the first time you do it, but it is the, one of the rewards of practicing this. Okay, so if you're, um, you can do this exercise in any position, lying, standing, seated. If you're seated, try to keep your back straight and your feet on the floor. So uh, let all the air out through your mouth. Close your mouth in through your nose. One, two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Out. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Close in. 
two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, out, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, close in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, out, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, close in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, out, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now just breathe normally and notice how you feel, notice any changes. Some of you may feel a little lightheaded doing that the first time. That is not the goal and that will disappear with practice. Some of you may have some sense of relaxation. That will become very powerful as you practice this. This is a practice. You have to do this twice a day religiously without fail. I do it in the morning when I get up before I do some sitting meditation. I do it in the evening when I get in bed to fall asleep. It will become a very powerful way to help you fall asleep if you get up in the night for any reason. Get back in bed, do this, you'll fall asleep. You can do it more often than twice a day, uh, but not more than four breath cycles at one time. Uh, at the end of a month, if you're comfortable with it, you can increase to eight breath cycles, and that's the absolute maximum. So then it's the practice would be eight breath cycles at least twice a day. Uh, after a month or so, as you get comfortable with it, try using it for things. If someone cuts you off in traffic, if somebody says something that pushes your button, before you react, do the breathing exercise. It's a great way to deal with cravings uh, for whatever, a piece of candy, uh, whatever. You have clients that want to stop smoking. Get them to, when the urge comes up, have them do the breathing technique before uh, and by the time it's done, the craving will be gone. By the way, this is a very powerful thing to do with clients. I encourage parents to do this with children. I do it with patients. You know, it creates a very intimate kind of bond, uh, very, very useful. But the, there are striking physiological changes that happen from practicing this over time. Uh, significant decreases in blood pressure, lowered heart rate, improved digestion. I have story after story of things that have changed in people's lives as a result of doing this technique. Uh, people that have cold hands, have had cold hands all their life who now have warm hands. Uh, cold, just as an aside, if I had 30 seconds to diagnose a patient, I feel their hands. If people have cold hands in a warm room, that is a sure sign of an overactive sympathetic nervous system. Uh, because when the sympathetic nervous system is overactive, it shuts down circulation to the surface of the body in order to shunt more blood to the brain in cases of emergency. Um, so when you activate the relaxation response, warmth on the surface of the body is one of the obvious you know, manifestations of that. Um, I have, I think, five cases now of, of people who've stopped atrial fibrillation just with this 478 breath, something I wouldn't have thought were, was possible. This is the most powerful anti-anxiety measure I have ever come across. It makes the drugs we use for anxiety look pathetically weak and dangerous by comparison. Um, if you observe people who become anxious, people who are angry, afraid, upset. Breathing always changes in the direction of being rapid, shallow, irregular, and noisy. You cannot be in a calm state of mind and have agitated breathing. You cannot be have calm breathing and be in an agitated state of mind. They don't go together. And, you know, if you treat... I, I have treated patients with the most extreme forms of panic disorder, and 
who have been able to get it completely under control just by practicing the 478 breath. In one case, it took a year and a half of practice before the person was able to get off of benzodiazepines and bring it totally under control. But, you know, I think there's an interesting difference here in, in approaching a problem like this. When people are anxious or panic, the subjective feeling is of being out of control. If you, if you treat this by giving a drug, you are reinforcing the notion that the locus of control is external. If people discover that they can control an internal state, a mental state, purely by something within themselves, that is a revelation. And that technique becomes more powerful with repetition, whereas the use of the external thing becomes less powerful with repetition. So this has everything to, rec to, to recommend it. So master it yourself first. You know, really practice it religiously. And then when you get good with it, begin doing it with other people. And I strongly recommend that you teach this to all of your clients as well. It is just a universally uh, wonderful remedy. The literal meaning of the word conspiracy is to breathe together. So we, we, we have been engaged here in a conspiracy for better health and I hope for better health care. Thank you. Hi, I'm here to talk about something I'm pretty sure you're very interested in. In this video, we're going to get clear on what it means to be an integrative nutrition health coach. We're going to explore five primary aspects of health coaching. Before we dive in, let me make this clear. It's okay if you don't want to coach. Many people take this course with no intention of coaching. For now, we know that whether or not health coaching is your current intention, it's helpful to understand what it's all about. Let's start with a brief exercise. Imagine you decide to hire a personal trainer. What might be some of your reasons? What might motivate you to seek this professional support? Spend a few minutes writing down some thoughts and I'll be here when you're ready to continue. Why might you hire a personal trainer? To be more motivated. What did you write down? Many people from beginners to seasoned athletes hire personal trainers. What do all of these people have in common? They all know it's important to exercise, but they all benefit from support. Many people know the basic things that would improve their wellness, but they're not sure how to go about it or how to keep it up in a sustainable way. Even if people know exactly what to do, they so often don't do it. Health can be confusing and frustrating, and it can leave people feeling stuck. Add to that the fact that changing mindsets and habits is incredibly challenging. It's no wonder people need support. Knowing doesn't bring about change. The greatest obstacle isn't a lack of information. It's exploring what's really going on on deeper levels and implementing and executing action steps that fuel long-term wellness. This is what coaching is all about helping clients figure out how to make health work for them on a daily basis. Having a coach is incredibly valuable. Even if you don't have any particular goals, and even if you already know all there is to know about health. How many successful people do you know who don't have any kind of coach, mentor, or similar support? Probably not many. Health coaches are in a unique position to help people on their health journeys, and they fill a significant gap in the healthcare system. First of all, they provide individualized support. 
this alone is vastly different than a lot of other health support. By viewing each client as unique, health coaches set the stage for a more personalized and empowering approach to wellness. Health coaches can also serve as an integral part of wellness teams. By bridging gaps between clients and other wellness providers, they can contribute to the health revolution in powerful ways. They're at the forefront of the healthcare shift from treatment to prevention. And they're often the missing links between information and transformation. If you were to sum up health coaching in one sentence, what would you say? How would you define it? Maybe you don't know, which is perfectly okay. By the end of this course, you'll feel more confident in doing this. But for now, pause the video and see what you come up with. How was that? Maybe it feels challenging to sum up health coaching in one sentence, but here are some ideas. Health coaches support and empower individual wellness transformations, help people look at health holistically and work toward greater quality of life overall, guide people through the steps of long-term behavior change, or on a very basic level, health coaches are like any other coach, except they focus specifically on health. What do you think? There are many words you could use to describe health coaching, but we'll cover some common themes. The first thing to know is that health coaching falls under the larger umbrella of coaching. This can seem confusing to many people who tend to lump health coaches with professionals like nutritionists and registered dietitians. One thing that might help is thinking of health coaches as having more in common with life coaches or even sports coaches. They're partners throughout their clients' journeys. Journeys that consist of an ongoing practice and feedback all coaches help clients reach their full potential. The difference is that health coaches focus specifically on health. You might be thinking, okay, but how do they do all of this? What exactly do health coaches do? Great question. Luckily, you're in the right place because you'll learn so much in this course. Many people know the basic things that would improve their wellness, but they're not sure how to go about it or how to keep it up in a sustainable way. Enter health coaches who understand that transformation takes time and that allowing this time, allowing this process, is what leads to long-term health. Coaches offer a growth mindset, ongoing learning, resilience, and understanding that it's all about the journey. Health coaches are not attached to outcomes. They guide organic transformation rather than controlled or forced change. What actually happens within the coaching sessions and in the client's life isn't up to the health coach. Whatever happens, whatever type of transformation happens naturally unfolds inside the client. Visualize a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. The caterpillar forms a chrysalis in which it undergoes an organic metamorphosis into a butterfly. The health coach is kind of like the chrysalis, holding protective space. The coach also provides a certain amount of structure, which seems to go against the idea of letting clients lead. The key is that the structure is loose and adaptable. For example, health coaches help clients develop and progress towards personal wellness goals by building self-awareness of feelings, mindsets, and behaviors, exploring areas of life that might be out of balance, setting effective and achievable goals, identifying perceived barriers, implementing healthy lifestyle changes, 
and staying accountable. Deeper transformation results from moving through these areas. Again, transformation is a journey and an ongoing process. Breaking it down into manageable steps makes it feel less overwhelming and more organic. Let's look at a coaching example. In this clip, you'll see the health coach talking to the audience about some coaching techniques. Right, so just in general, when you're doing these walks, how often do you uh, get to exercise? Um, trying to do it slowly. If I make myself have to do it every day, it's like an if. I'll rebel. I'll be like... Yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I'm not a big exercise person myself. Um, two or so three So you see times. a couple things here. One is... I'm checking in with her because I get that she's not doing this power walk every day. So we're just going to get on the same level here. Is it once a week, once a month, once a day? And I'm also empathizing with her. I'm like, it's cool if you don't exercise. I have a hard time exercising. I'm not trying to be the, oh, I'm perfect. I go to the gym every day. What's wrong with you? I'm just meeting her at her level. You want to be careful to be like talking down to clients as though you've got it figured out. You are Zen mind, beginner's mind, learning from, even though they're your client, you're also a student in the process. It's more of a peer relatedness. Even if they see you as the teacher, in my own head, when I'm teaching, when I'm counseling, it's more like we're all the same. We're helping each other move forward in our lives. Frequency? Um, about two or three times a week. Um, I could see myself actually making it a daily routine, like every day. Why would you want to do that? Because I, I feel better. Um, you know, I like tested, okay, well, if I, if I don't do it, let's see, do I still feel better? Did you see those qualities he talked about? Again, coaching is a relationship, not a science. Health coaches have many valuable qualities that together illustrate their unique role in the wellness world. We'll cover many approaches and strategies in this course that will help support you in becoming a confident health coach. The more you can apply these concepts to self-coaching, coaching yourself, the more confident you'll feel walking your talk. Speaking of confidence, remember how we tried to sum up health coaching in the beginning of this video? Here were some ideas. Health coaches support and empower individual wellness transformations, help people look at health holistically, and work toward greater quality of life overall, guide people through the steps of long-term behavior change. Or on a very basic level, health coaches are like any other coach, except they focus specifically on health. Do you see how all of these ideas define health coaching in slightly different ways? What did you write down at the beginning of the video? Give that another look. How would you describe health coaching now based on what we've covered? Maybe your definition didn't change, but maybe it did. See what you come up with, and I'll be right here when you're ready. You see, integrative nutrition health coaches have so much to offer. You're right where you need to be.
An introduction to health coaching. Health coaching is an evolving field and it's growing more in popularity. With millions of people suffering from preventable lifestyle-related diseases, integrative nutrition health coaches are uniquely positioned to bring about lasting change in the lives of individuals all across the globe and help spread the ripple effect of empowered health and happiness. Health coaches use a forward-thinking approach. The support they offer is both science and experience-based. It's a combination of traditional and modern approaches catered to each bio-individual client. In addition to supporting clients with specific goals, health coaches empowers clients to choose health-promoting behaviors that work for them. They raise awareness and offer support as clients move in their own bio-individual ways towards the greater health they want, to, they want for themselves. Coaching hopefully leads to long-term behavior change, but only because health coaches help clients do the meaningful work that forms a strong foundation. Once you complete the program, you will be able to call yourself an integrative nutrition health coach. You will be mentoring clients to create and maintain long-term lifestyle changes to enhance their overall quality of life. Health coaches are coaches who focus on health and wellness. They have a lot in common with life coaches, career coaches, and even athletic coaches. Like other coaches, they approach coaching as a relationship. Their partners throughout their client's journey. Journey that consists of ongoing practice and feedback. All coaches help clients reach their full potential by raising awareness, making connections, identifying patterns, shifting limiting beliefs, using a growth mindset, and offering strength-based support. The difference is that health coaches focus specifically on health. The following pages will provide a basic foundation of some of the valuable qualities that set health coaches apart in the wellness sphere. It isn't an exhaustive list, though there are many ways to think about health coaching. Health Coaching 101 The chart below explains more about health coaching and how to help how health coaches support their clients with transformation. False. Health coaches are authorities on health and wellness. They direct people on the most effective method of achieving increased quality of life. That is false and true is health coaches coach clients to be expert on themselves. They serve as guide on the side of letting clients take the lead. False. Health coaches provide information that shows clients how to reach their goals. They give specific recommendation and advice. And true, health coaches provide a solid structure for organic transformation, whatever that means to reach particular client. They coach clients to find their own answers. False, health coaches prescribe nutrition and lifestyle wellness plans and programs. True, health coaches empower clients to build and continually adopt unique wellness lifestyle. They use experimental strategies to help clients figure out what works for them. 
and falls, health coaches focus primarily on nutrition. True, health coaches view health holistically and support clients with a variety of lifestyle habits. False, health coaches help manage symptoms. True, health coaches take a more preventive approach. They help clients make connections between issues and obstacles. False, health coaches encourage setting particular goal and adopting particular habits. True, health coaches meet clients where they are. They support clients' lead goals and habit changes. False, health coaches nudge clients in certain directions. True, health coaches let clients drive the conversation and determine areas of desired focus. False, health coaches set expectations for progress. They want to see certain outcomes. True, Health coaches have no expectation for their clients. Health and wellness journeys and aren't attached to particular outcomes. False. Health coaches focus on the point. They help clients get the results they want. True. Health coaches coach clients during the ongoing process of transformation. They coach clients on how to make lifestyle shifts that they can adopt based on what's, go what's working or, or not working at the time. They also provide accountability and support throughout the process. False, health coaches offer short-term solutions that increase quality of life as quickly as possible. True, health coaches offer sustainable wellness strategies that increase overall quality of, of life long-term. They approach wellness as a lifestyle, not a short-term solution. Benefits of being health coach. Health coaching is an incredibly flexible career that can be customized to fit your personality and lifestyle, no matter what, no matter your personal and professional goals. Experience. Health coaches can incorporate coaching into their career without shifting their career path. They don't have to adhere to a set to set a payment structure and set their own rates. Clients, health coaches can work with a variety of clients or specialize in in one particular niche. Their ideal client can also evolve alongside their interests and skill set. They don't have to identify and stick with their client niche in order to process to progress in their career. Schedule. Health coaches can create their own flexible schedules. Full-time, part-time, anything goes. Health coaches always have a flexibility to change their schedule over time to meet the changing demands of their life. Collaboration. Health coaches can work with many professionals they don't have to work on their own, for example, in a private office or so solely with one group or of professionals. Health coaches can collaborate with wellness practitioners, corporate companies, fitness professionals, or educational institutions. Setting. Health coaches can work in wellness offices, schools, company offices, or community centers. Location, health coaches have many many choice, choices when it comes to their work location. 
they can work anywhere even virtually for example coaches may work in one location such as their home or a coffee shop or meet client in an office setting health coaches have the have the flexibility to meet clients remotely from the comfort the comfort of their homes health coaches facts many people have question about what exactly health coaches do below and on the following page you'll find example conversation between an integrative nutrition health coach and a new IAN student okay my first question is do health coaches coach clients based on specific guidelines for nutrition and lifestyle health answer health coaches actually believe that there's no specific way to approach health because each person is unique and continually changes question by IAN student but they don't need to know pretty much everything about health and wellness not at all each coaches know a lot about health and wellness but they continually learn and encourage encourage client to do the same their experience lies in coaching clients to be expertise expert on themselves question that makes sense still i feel like i can't really coach others until i work through my own health issues a lot of people feel that feel that way but there is the thing health coaches continually learn grow and evolve in their own health journeys they also know that coaching others support their own learning and healing in terms of healing i've heard that health coaching is an alternative approach to western medicine is that true it's not an el uh, answer is it's not an alternative it's a powerful complement and health coaches incorporate many wellness approaches but it's not really tied to any other healthcare and clients should receive hopefully it is health coaches can collaborate with other wellness professionals to provide effective integrative support for clients they want clients to become their own health advocates okay last question how do i convince people that health coaching isn't just a luxury many people think it think it's not not, not really essential it's just additional support you can explain that health coach health coaches bridge significant gaps in the healthcare for example, for example, they help clients implement recommendations and develop plans of action that are manageable and enjoyable. Health Coaching Pathways The health coach training program will support growth in every area of your life. Whether or not you choose to become a health coach, from your personal development and career to your relationship with others, the opportunities for applying your learning from this program are limitless. Throughout the curriculum will guide you in solidifying your intention and defining your own path to success. The first step is opening your mind to new ideas and possibilities. Personal Development In this course, you'll be empowered around your own health. As you experiment with the concept taught in each module, 
you'll begin to identify, identify the thoughts, feelings, and behavior that enhance your health. You'll discover your path to overall wellness, and you'll be equipped with the tools to navigate your health as your needs change over time. As a result, you'll live happier and help healthier life, and you'll share your experiences with others. Here are some ways you might apply your education to your own life. Feel empowered around your own health. Think in ways that are nurturing, self-supportive. Make educated decisions about the products you use and foods you consume. Improve the quality of your relationships. Engage in physical activities that you enjoy. Manage your finances both today and into the future. Find more joy in your day-to-day -day life. Create or join a group that supports your lifestyle. Explore mind-body health. Familiarize with your controversial issues in modern day health and wellness. Nurture yourself off the plate. Get to the root of challenges you're struggling with. Become a better listener and grow as a commun communicator. Strengthen your time management skills recognize and honor your bio individuality create a weekly self-care ritual explore what a spiritual connection might look like spend time in nature eat food you enjoy that makes your body feel good and here are some ways you might share your education with others Host friends for a night or a nourishing snack and self-care. Offer to make over a friend's pantry. Contribute wellness tips to your community newsletter. Support loved ones with their health journeys. Help a friend discover physical activity they love. Volunteer your expertise with those in need. Share your healthy lifestyle with others in, on social media. Plan a week, weekly meet-up at the local farmer's market. Start a lunch and learn series around healthy lifestyle with co-workers. Share a fun and healthy recipe at the barbecue or potluck you attend. Organize a make-and-take or swap event with friends or community members to make healthy baked goods, home personal care products, or big batch recipes. Recruit your family for Sunday meal prep. Create your own 30-day wellness challenge and invite, your, uh, invite others to join you. Write an article and submit to local newspaper or blogs. Consider the following question to reflect on how you might apply your learning to your life. Number one, how do you hope to grow during this program? Number two, how might you share your learning with your friends, family members, and co-workers? Health coaching. Many of our graduates utilize their health coach training program education by working as an integrative nutrition health coach. Health coaching is an incredibly flexible career that can be customized to fit your personality and lifestyle no matter what your individual goals are. Here are some few options to consider. Creating a part-time or full-time practice, offering individual or group coaching sessions, coaching in personal or remotely, working with a specific gender or age group, 
special specializing in one area of wellness such as home cooking healthcare intimacy or career helping people overcome the barriers to eating a nutritious diet working with businesses to offer corporate wellness coachings partnering with wellness or fitness professionals partnering with medical professionals offering workshop in in your community on topic you are passionate about reflect on on how you might apply your learning as a health coach number one this program will teach you everything you need to know about becoming a health uh, becoming a successful health coach however your life experiences are what uniquely qualify you to support others explore your value with the questions below what are your personal strengths what life experiences have most supported your growth what are your interests and passion what are your values what are your professional experiences and qualifications what communities are you connected to who might your ideal client be number two describe your ideal coaching practice what does it look like how does it feel beyond coaching IAN alumni have applied their Integrative Nutrition Health Coach Certificate in many ways that go beyond health coaching. As you identify your intention for this program, we'll be here to support you in working toward your dream. Here are, here are a few ways of graduates have applied their learning beyond health coaching. Offering corporate wellness consulting, publishing books and journals, becoming a contrib contributing editor to news publication and journals hosting workshops and wellness retreats collaborating with wellness brands creating podcasts or blogs start a business coffee restaurant workout and wellness studios inventing healthy foods or household products developing a holistic skincare line supporting a develop a supporting and developing nonprofits, becoming a wellness educator, getting involved in food policy, developing res recipes, or serving as an in-house advisor for health food brands and or restaurants, supporting community wellness initiatives and farmers markets, Planning a community health fair, speaking at schools or community events, building or joining a community garden, and so much more. Consider the following question to reflect on how you might apply your learning beyond coaching. Number one, how does this program fit into your goals? Number two, do you see yourself applying your learning beyond health coaching? How so? coaches and health and wellness, but really our work is dedicated to supporting and promoting health coaches all over the world. I meet with uh, members of Congress, I meet with uh, federal regulators, and encourage them to adopt policies, uh, promote education that supports health and wellness, but more specifically really works on promoting um, health and wellness coaches. So I work with members of Congress to find policies uh, where health coaches can play a larger role in improving health and happiness and lowering chronic disease. I work with members of Congress to draft legislation uh, that helps promote the profession of health coaching, also allow for more places for health coaches to become employed, 
and do the great work that health coaches do. I also work with uh, members of Congress in drafting uh, legislation so people can more easily pay um, for health coaches uh, using their pre-tax dollars and oftentimes um, wellness funds that are set aside by either their employer or their insurance company. So I educate. Um, IAN also does an amazing amount of legislating, draft legislation, and we work with media to promote um, the great work that our health coaches do all over the world. When I first started working in Washington a few years ago, uh, we were probably the first people to ever say the term health coach you know, in that town. Uh, now, if you go into a meeting, you know, vast majority of people either know a health coach, um, they know who they are, they know what they do, and they have a pretty good concept of, uh, of what they do. So that's a huge improvement from where we were just a few years ago. Um, so I think the future looks very bright for us. One of the great things about working in this field is finding our new allies, and they come in so many different places, even untraditional settings. Just recently, the American Medical Association came out in support of health coaches. They now recommend health coaches be in all physicians' offices. As we know, physicians make the recommendation, but it's often very hard to put that actually into practice. So the AMA had a very unique study and the results of the study were pretty overwhelming that when health coaches were present in physicians' offices, their patients and their clients had much better health outcomes. And so now the American Medical Association and even the American Academy of Family Physicians all recommend health coaches be in physician offices. Also, we work with some really important allies in the United States Senate and the United States House of Representatives. We've introduced resolutions in both uh, houses of Congress. These resolutions recognize the uh, contributions uh, work that health coaches do in improving health, improving happiness, and overall lowering uh, health care costs. So we're finding some really important allies in traditional settings and, and, and non-traditional settings as well. coaches work and are increasingly employed in this growing wellness economy. So we have health coaches working in spas, in gyms, in health food stores, with health foods companies. Um, you know, these are our kind of natural allies. And we're finding that these allies are increasingly hiring more and more health coaches because they bring with them a set of unique skills and tools that you can't really find in the marketplace. So health coaches are increasingly being employed in this greater broader uh, wellness economy. Health coaches are increasingly employed also in workplace wellness programs. Kind of gone are the days of the corporate wellness when wellness was done to you. Um, and really the new uh, trend is workplace wellness where wellness is done with you in the workplace. And they're finding that health coaches are unique communicators of that, um, that practice uh, and encouraging others to adopt those healthy behaviors. So we're seeing health coaches increasingly being hired in integrative physician offices, but also in traditional uh, settings and more conservative settings like hospitals and doctor's offices, because now they really want to see uh, real value uh, in, in healthcare and not as much of a fee-for-service and really bending the curve and uh, improving health and wellness through, through health coaching. And we're also seeing a lot of health coaches now working with third-party companies. They're being placed in large office buildings uh, and high-end residential apartment buildings uh, to offering unique services to their 
clients, their employees, and the people that live in these uh, facilities. Uh, so we're seeing, you know, the world really recognizing the benefits, um, and also we're also seeing more consumers now demand uh, that health and wellness coaches be available uh, more places. So it's the best of both worlds. We're really seeing growth in this economy in this sector. Just recently, the U.S. Department of Labor saw a 16% increase, or forecast a 16% increase in health and wellness coaching and health education. These are individuals who are working to improve health outcomes through healthy behavior change, everything from uh, in the community, uh, working with large populations, group sessions, or individual clients. We're seeing more use of health coaches in larger community settings and larger hospitals, outpatient services, to get people to identify the behaviors that led them to the emergency room, but also to identify them and work with health coaches to correct them. Um, because it's incredibly vital um, for those individuals, but it's also a public health crisis and one that's completely unsustainable going forward. we're going to increase health and happiness is not through more invasive medical treatments and it's not going to be through um, expensive pharmaceuticals. It's going to be with behavior change. And to get to positive behavior change, we need a coach. And so health coaches are being used in almost every sector of the economy to accomplish those goals. People are more productive when they're happier. People are more happy when they're healthier. And to get to those places more Companies, more entities, more associations, and more governments are realizing that health coaches and peer support and peer coaching are going to be important and vital aspects to to accomplish those things. Over the next five to ten years, I think we're going to see continued growth, and that's what the data tells us. And we're going to see health coaches um, being employed in a number of new areas. A, because there's need, but also what's more important is that there's a consumer demand for it now. People want access to better health and better wellness and better health and wellness advice. We all walk around with our phones, and our phones contain access to almost all the medical and health information in the world. But that information doesn't make really us or the public at large any healthier. Um, We do need an ally. We need a coach to walk us through that. And it's really the behavior changes that are going to lead to lasting and better health. And so I think we're going to see more and more health coaches being employed um, in places where individuals demand them and where they spend their time. Now is an amazing time to be a health coach. The field is growing rapidly and you're needed uh, both locally and internationally. And please go out, become a health coach, work with your clients, work one-on-one, work in group settings, and report back to us about all the amazing things that you accomplish and the things that your, that your clients accomplish. It makes our work so much more exciting when I can tell members of Congress that people in their district are really making changes in other people's lives and promoting health, promoting happiness, and leading to this greater ripple effect that is bringing greater health all over the world.
Hi there. I'm here to talk about primary food, and today we're going to take a closer look at the area of health in the circle of life. Primary food is the food that nourishes us off the plate, the lifestyle factors that create optimum health. When your primary food is balanced and satiating, your life feeds you, making what you eat secondary. Today, we're going to learn how to view health through the lens of primary food and why taking action in this area of your life is instrumental to your overall health and well-being. Let's start with the basics. What is health? Health is often defined as a state of overall wellness that includes physical, emotional, and mental well-being. But at its core, health is self-care. It's recognizing that your body has needs and taking action to meet those needs. It's less about the end game and more about the willingness to invest the time, money, and energy in the process. Here at IAN, we truly believe that health is a journey, not a destination, and that no one way of approaching health will work for everyone. So why do we teach it? We know that each of our students comes to us from a different place in their journey. Some are healthy and interested in exploring preventative care, while others are taking this program to heal. Our goal is to provide you with the understanding that health is the foundation to well-being and happiness, and that no matter where you're coming from, your willingness to simply observe your body's needs and take action toward meeting them is the most powerful decision that you can make. That's why health is primary food, because it demands a commitment to self-love and it affects every area of your well-being. Choosing to live a healthy life starts with the realization that self-care is the medicine that both prevents and cures disease. By exploring your bio-individuality with primary and secondary foods and taking consistent action in alignment with your needs, you can begin the journey towards living a healthier, happier life. It's about honoring the time and energy that you've invested in learning about your body's needs and actually following through. For example, let's say you suffer from stomach issues. Being healthy is about acknowledging this issue and taking action to resolve it as consistently and persistently as you would take care of a child who had the same problem. This could look like different things for different people, but it may include cutting out certain foods that make you feel sick. Or it might mean going to different practitioners until you find the one that really understands you. Or it could mean reducing your stress at work by meditating because you have a hunch that that's contributing to the problem. When you shift your mindset to a place of self-care, you realize that the action of taking care of yourself in the ways that you know that you should is what health is all about. It's about following through and respecting yourself enough to not give up on your body's needs. So, you may be wondering how you can begin exploring this area of primary food in your own life. As with all areas of primary food, your efforts in this area will ebb and flow, and maintaining your health won't be easy. It's important to continually check in on how this area of primary food is going for you to ensure that you're nourishing yourself fully, both on and off the plate. You can start exploring your current relationship with health by considering your answers to the following questions. What does health mean to you? How has your idea of health evolved over time? Is health something you currently invest your time in? 
Do you listen to your body's needs and take action toward meeting them? On a scale of 1 to 10, what is your level of satisfaction with this area of primary food? In this module and across the program, you'll learn simple ways to prioritize health in your life. Be open to experimentation and take it one day at a time. By taking conscious action, you'll reap all the benefits this area of primary food has to offer. I hope you enjoy how your health journey unfolds throughout the curriculum, and I can't wait to see where this year takes you. Bye for now. Small Steps to Health Health is a journey, not a destination. It is important to enjoy the ride. As you begin to explore your health, we encourage you to focus on taking small steps forward rather than making radical changes. Small steps are attainable and allow you to easily identify the things that are working for you and the things that aren't. Over time, small steps add up and lead to lasting change. Below are some simple tips to kick off your personal journey toward lasting health and happiness. We hope these tips will support you in discovering the bio-individual health practices that truly works for you. Eating Habits Sit down for meals. Take time to sit down when you eat to support digestion and mindfulness. Start with vegetables. When building meals, put vegetable on your plate first. Aim to do this for two meals a day to increase your vegetable intake. Carry a water bottle. If you have a water on hand, you'll more likely to drink it. Express gratitude. Boost pleasure by adding by appreciating each meals relationships schedule a weekly phone date it can be a regular phone date with the same person or a different person at a different time each week either way you're strengthening relationships listen carefully give pe give people full attention and practice listening more than you speak share your day at the, end of the, at the end of each day, choose someone to, to close to you and spend a few minutes exchanging stories about your days. Lend a hand. Whenever it's, it's volunteering or helping someone cross the street, aim to help at least one person each day. Even small offerings are significant. Self-care. Prioritize sleep. Rather than fitting sleep in when you can, set a sleep goal, example 7 hours a day, and, and try to stick to it. Start a floss, flossing routine. Flossing routine is an easy way to improve hygiene and only takes a few minutes each night. Relax and recharge. Embrace quiet time. Lay down, take a deep breath, and meditate or pray. Increase circulation. Scrub your entire body with hot. Dump, wash clothes in the morning and or at night. Mindset. Laugh more. Challenge yourself to take yourself lightly. Choose humorous activities and spend more time with people who make you laugh. Take a beat. When you feel stressed over or overwhelmed, force yourself to stop and take a few deep breaths and or drink some water replace should with could when negative self-talks arises flip the should to could 
choose to empower yourself rather than put yourself down. Say a daily affirmation. Write down an empowering statement, statement and put it where you'll see it every day. Say the affirmation every morning and or evening. Movement. Stand up every 30 to 60 minutes. Get the blood flowing on a regular basis. Set a time if it's help. Aim to walk at least 10 minutes a day. Keep the goal easy in order to achieve it. Then increase it when you're ready. Fit in it. Look for small opportunities to squeeze more movement into your day. Take the stairs rather than the elevator. Get off the bus or subway. One stop early or park further away from the destination. Sign up for something new. Challenge yourself to try a new activity. You don't have to do ever again you if you don't enjoy it but you might surprise yourself and find a new hobby you love home practices buy a plant whenever you have no plant whether you have no plants or many plants add some more oxygen and life to an area of your home that would benefit make your bed bed every morning do it as soon as you get out of bed this is the very simple way to start the day in a positive proactive way organize your whole your workplace organize your work space keeping your space organized can increase productivity and make work more enjoyable spend five minutes each day organizing until the space is to liking to your liking Turn off electronics early. Aim to turn off the electronic phone, computer, TV at least 30 minutes before bed to promote a more restful sleep. I'm going to focus on true wealth and how to acquire it. How many people brought you checkbooks? <laughs> the Roman poet Virgil said, the greatest wealth is health. And he meant that literally. You can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Not only that, but if you don't have your health, life can be a real drag and a drain on your finances. So we're in a little bit of a mess right now, financially, spiritually, physically. Uh, we're in a state of poor health, right? So many millions of people are suffering from cancer, diabetes, heart disease, thyroid disease, osteoporosis. Our high rates of disease may be common, but they're certainly not normal. This is not a normal state for human beings. We've only accepted it as normal because that's what we've been taught and we haven't questioned it. So I want to encourage you to start questioning the statistics. And I'm gonna give you an example. 16 years ago, I was goiter girl. I was diagnosed with incurable thyroid disease. I had an enlarged thyroid gland, um, autoimmune thyroid disease, and, um, and I was sick all the time. And the doctor had recommended to me to take radioactive iodine to destroy my thyroid and then take synthetic hormone for the rest of my life. And I questioned that. <laughs> yeah, thank God. You know, the thought of destroying my body and being on a medication for the rest of my life um, just didn't sound right to me. It sounded like it was a little too dramatic and uh, permanent. 
And I said, uh, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to change my diet. And the doctor said, your thyroid condition is incurable. And she was right. According to what she had learned in medical school, my thyroid condition was incurable. So I had a different idea <laughs> of, uh, you know, my perspective was a little bit different. So I left the doctor's office with a focus on healing my condition and questioning everything that I had been eating, uh, you know, questioning my whole entire diet and my lifestyle. I had been a chronic dieter my whole life, which led to that condition. I was uh, always on some type of diet, you know, eating low-fat, non-fat, chemical sweeteners, diet Pepsi all day long, you know, Nutri-Sweet. It was, it was a crazy, insane dieter. And none of the dieting that I did worked. I would gain weight, I would lose weight, I would gain weight, I was like an accordion, right, like this. And uh, I was about 20 pounds heavier than I am now, and I hated my body. I hated it. I hated the cellulite on my legs. I hated the cellulite on my stomach. I hated the little fat dimples on my butt. You know, dimples are cute, but only when they're on your face. When they're, when they're on your butt, they're just a pain in the ass. <laughs> so, you know, I really questioned everything that I was doing, and I changed everything that I was doing. I changed. I got off all the junk food and the crap food and the chemicals and the crap sweeteners and all that stuff. And I started eating real food that didn't come out of a box. You know, it came right out of the earth. And an interesting thing happened. I lost 18 pounds in four months without trying. It just came off. And I was like, wow, this is nice. This thyroid disease is coming in really handy. <laughs> so I went back to the doctor four months later and uh, they took another she took another blood test and she said, you know, your thyroid disease, uh, your levels have changed. She said, but you still have this condition. It's, it's not better yet. Um, and you need to take this medication. And I said, thanks, but I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing because I feel great. And, uh, and I know that I'm not better yet, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So for the next two years, I went for periodic blood testing every four months. Um, and each time that I went, I was diagnosed with a new disease. I had, you know, yeah, I had hypothyroid, hyperthyroid, Hashimoto's, you know, every th single disease that they could come up with. And um, they all, every single doctor recommended a, a new medication. You got to take this, you got to take that, you got to take this. And each time I said, no, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I, I know that my body's in the process of healing. So two years after changing my diet, my lifestyle, and incorporating self-care and self-love and great quality food, two years later, uh, my thyroid became normal. It's been 16 years since that initial diagnosis, and my goiter never came back, and my thyroid is normal. So it takes patience and time and a whole lot of self-care and self-love to heal the body. But we can do it. You know, sickness doesn't happen overnight. And wellness doesn't happen overnight. We have to be very patient. Uh, always keep in mind for yourself and for your clients as you're working with them that wellness takes time, just like sickness took time to get there. Uh, it takes years of eating well, exercising, uh, and other natural practices to get the body to rebalance itself. There's a, a great quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson, and it says, uh, adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. Right? How many of us have patience today? 
that. We're like, gotta have it now, gotta have it right now, get all the information that we need, get on the web. I need it in 10 seconds. If 10 seconds is too fast, we call up the, the, the computer people. You gotta fix my computer, it's not working fast enough, right? Because we don't have it like this. But the body really needs time and patience. So you have to keep that in mind for yourself and for your clients when you're working with them. Be patient with them. So today, I consider myself healthy. Uh, but I'm still in the process of healing. I, will, I think while I'm on this planet, <laughs> I think I'll consider myself in the process of healing for the entire duration. You know, until the last breath, right? Uh, first, I was healing my physical body. Then I was healing my emotional body. And then, of course, the spiritual body. And now I'm in the process of healing the planetary body and the people of the earth. And it's a big job. <laughs> and I'm going to need a lot of help. Uh, so how many of you health coaches are ready to take on this work? You are vitally important to the health and happiness of this world. You are. And we are needed more than ever right now, especially with everything that's going on. Uh, so our topic today is health is wealth. And I believe personally that one of the biggest wastes of money is that we spend our hard-earned hard bucks on um, medications and surgeries that don't actually heal anything. Yeah, you know, like, oh, gallbladder's not working, take it out. Oh, intestines not, oh, 15 feet of your intestines, you don't need that, right? So we really need the things that we came into this earth with. <laughs> There's a reason why they're there. If you've lost any of your organs, just send your body love. Uh, you'll be done with your organs when you're done with this planet. But for right now, you need everything that you came in with. Uh, we've been taught that uh, if our body is experiencing a symptom or pain to take a pill, to make it go away, to take the organ out, um, and what that does is it suppresses our symptoms. And it sends sickness deeper into the body so that in the future, bigger diseases come, right? What started as a headache that we kept taking a pill for, now 15, 20 years later is an entirely blocked meridian system with cancer. So we have to really look at our symptoms. Our body is perfectly designed. It is perfect. It was created by the universe, right? You're no less perfect than the butterflies and the bees, you know, and the orangutans and the trees and all that. We just have to start paying attention to our perfectly designed body. We even have our own built-in warning systems. We have them. Here's some pain, right? Here's a little bit of pain to let you know that your blood is not flowing properly. Here's some itching, itching rash to let you know that what you're eating, your body doesn't like it. It's, you're having an allergic reaction, right? Some eczema, some psoriasis. Your body's having an allergic reaction. These are all like warning signs. You know, here's some some twitching in your eye to let you know that your nervous system is stressed out and maybe stop eating so many cacao nibs. <laughs> Chill out on the coffee a little bit, right? So we got all these little warning systems. Our body's always talking to us. So we have to start to pay attention. I believe it's our divine right to live healthfully and happily here on the planet, right? It's a nice thought. You come here, you have fun with your friends, and then get out of here, go somewhere else. Uh, so my thyroid disease was telling me that I needed to make changes. I need to make changes with my diet, my lifestyle, my consciousness. And then my body healed. So I want to encourage you that your body can heal. Your client's bodies can heal. You just have to be very patient. The ability to naturally heal that's inside me is inside every single creature on the planet. 
every creature on the planet. There's no exceptions. So today, I'm not going to share any trendy new diet revelations. Right? We've all got millions of those. Uh, and I'm not going to teach you how to live forever. That's not what this is about. Death is inevitable. You're coming into this planet, you're getting out of here <laughs> one way or another. But we don't have to get to the end of this life limping and crawling with one lung and half a kidney and a monkey's heart. And if you have a monkey's heart, just send it love. Just send it love. <laughs> we just need to learn how to um, nourish ourselves on a really deep level. So with our economy in its current state of instability, I'm going to share with you some of the best ways to invest your money where it really counts in your health. So, our physical body is a compilation of everything we've ingested over the years, right? Everything that we eat becomes us on a cellular level. Our food becomes our blood, becomes our skin, becomes our hair, becomes our nails, right? Becomes everything. Food just doesn't pass right through us, right? Pizza going in doesn't become pizza coming out in the same form. <laughs> it's actually absorbed and assimilated on a deep level. And if you do eat pizza and it goes in and it comes out looking like pizza, pack up your stuff, go directly to the hospital. That's where modern medicine excels. <laughs> so if everything that we eat actually becomes us, then it's imperative that we choose organic, clean, and naturally raised foods. Right? If everything that you eat is being absorbed and being assimilated and actually becoming your blood and feeding the rest of your organs, then we have to use natural foods, organic, clean, naturally raised. So, you know, for me, it just makes perfect sense that it's imperative that we spend our money on great quality food, uh, clean food, food that's grown without pesticides. So people always say to me, oh, pesticides, schmesticides, right? <laughs> Doesn't really mean anything. Well, yeah, the pesticides are fantastic. They're great at what they do. They're designed to kill bugs, right? They're perfect. They're so good at it. So what's the difference between a human being and a bug? Size. <laughs> Size, right? The human being is bigger than the bug. So the same pesticides that are designed to destroy the bug will destroy the human being, only it'll take a longer time. A longer time. The pesticides accumulate in the fat cells. They also disrupt the endocrine system. You know, like we're wondering, like I think cancer has now surpassed heart disease as the number one killer in the United States, right? So we have to look, well, what the heck is going on? What the heck is going on with us? So spend your money on clean, naturally raised food. Uh, it's funny, we don't even blink an eye. I need a new iPhone, $600, right? But 75 cents for an organic apple? What the hell is you? $4.59 for a cabbage? Are you crazy? I don't have that kind of money. Let me just put on my $200 shoes for a minute while I think about this. Right? I think we have our priorities mixed up a little bit. We're so concerned with the external, we don't focus on the internal stuff. The food that you're, create, you're buying and will be absorbing will become your body. It'll become your body. You're literally walking, talking, breathing food. Uh, so uh, we have our priorities a little bit mixed. We need to spend our money on things that will make a difference in our lives. Right? And then actually go and have a conversation with the person. You know, like uh, we all worried about the phones and all that stuff. Human beings are designed for that interaction stuff. So spend your money wisely. 
Don't be afraid. It's going to a good place. It's going to you to build your body. So the next thing, how is your food raised? So these are layer hens. Layer hens, they lay eggs. And if you look at these little hens, they're, they're living in a farm upstate New York. That's a, a farm called Flying Pigs Farm. And the layer hens have a nice life. They're out there, you know, clucking around in the garden, you know, they're eating the bugs, they're getting exercise and sunshine and fresh air, right? They're probably having some fun with the roosters, maybe. <laughs> you know, the whole thing, right? They're having a good life. So uh, this is also layer hens, right? And this is where the majority of our food is coming from. These are layer hens, they're in a factory farm. Look at the color of their crests, anemic, where the other crests were bright red, beautiful, right? So these are anemic. Not only that, but these little animals never exercise. They don't get out, they don't get sunshine, they're in stressed out conditions. So everything is energy, everything is energy. We have to really be conscious of how is our food raised. So when I make my fried rice with pastured eggs, I want to know that the eggs are coming from the hen that has had a wonderful life. I want to know that that hen has had sunshine, fresh air, exercise. It's going to change the quality of the energy of the food that I'm going to put inside my body. So spend the money. I know it costs a little bit more, but I'm going to show you how to save some money. Because so many people are like, no, no, I got to get the $300 boots. <laughs> I don't want the good eggs. <laughs> right? So many times I hear that from people. <laughs> yeah, so make sure you're getting good quality food. Uh, if your food becomes your body on a cellular le level, make it the best. Because you're totally worth it. So, we literally are what we eat. Uh, my clients, one of the, the biggest gripes that they have is like... Uh, they don't have the money to purchase clean food. All the time I hear, I don't have the money. Organic's so expensive. Clean, pastured, all this stuff is so expensive. Um, and I always tell them, first and foremost, you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth every single penny you put into your body. But there are ways to get clean food without cleaning out your bank account. So the first thing that I want to encourage you to do, for you and for your clients, join a CSA. A CSA is a community-supported agriculture. This is a picture of my CSA from uh, one week, one week of CSA. Uh, and this was uh, last September I took that picture, right? That was my little harvest. So a CSA, for those of you that don't know, is it, you join a farm, right? A community-supported agriculture. I pay $500, $500 I pay directly to the farmer and her family. Deb Caravacos, uh, she's at Stone Ledge Farm. I paid directly to her and her family. They plant the seeds, they sow the crops, they harvest everything. And every single week, for 24 weeks, six months, I get food, fresh food, every single week for $500. I could go to Whole Foods, I could walk out with two bags. $500. <laughs> right? And that's with coupons and discounts. <laughs> so this, it comes out to literally $21 a week. It's the best deal in town. Like I said, this was one week of produce that I got from Deb and her family. One week. Um, 
So to join a CSA, a community-supported agriculture, you go to localharvest.org and you punch in your zip code. And wherever you are, they'll tell you where all the CSAs are, the local farms, the people that are naturally raising their food. Um, you can go to the farm. You can see the family, the people that, you know, like it's nice to get connected to people that are raising your food, you know. You get to see them. You get, I met the family. They have so much love for the work that they do. I know that that love is going into the food. It's going into my body, right? So get to know your farmers and hug them. Because <laughs> if it wasn't for them, none of us would be eating. <laughs> We'd all be starving. So the next thing that you can do to save money, ditch the supplements and eat real food. Oh my God, I used to have an entire shelf in my cabinet, supplements, coenzyme Q10, beta carotene, fish oil supplements, you know, you name it. It was just thousands of dollars in supplements and I still wasn't healthy. You know, vitamin C, vitamin B, B12, you name it. And I was still sick all the time. So what we really need to do is if you look at that slide, all of the things that are in the supplements are actually in the food, right? So we have vitamin C in the peppers, you have beta carotene in the carrots, uh, sulfur in the cabbages, you have those whole grains over there, B vitamins, folic acid, fiber, right? You have fruits, you know, with this, we have so much vitamin and mineral content in the food, so much, the way that it was designed by the universe. The universe is pretty smart, you know, it designs everything that we need for our existence here on the planet. Not just going to plop us down here and say, all right, you guys are on your own. <laughs> right? Provides everything that we need. So if you can, start to eat real food in its whole form and get your clients to eat real food in its whole form. You know, you'll be surprised what happens. And you also save a lot of money. And the amount of money that you save on supplements, you can go out and buy shoes. <laughs> right? New pair of shoes. <laughs> uh, we just need to get back to nature to get the stuff that we need. So the next slide, uh, purchase the whole animal. Purchase the whole animal. So many of us will go out to eat at a restaurant. And I know I do this too. You go out to eat in a restaurant. One entree costs $25. One entree. And you're getting like a little chicken thigh or something like that, vegetables. Uh, and in, in New York, you're going out and you're probably going to spend $40 for an entree. New York City. Right? So $25 for one entree, maybe two if you were to take home the leftovers. But how many people really take home the leftovers? Because first of all, restaurant portions are too large. They're too large. And we'll sit down to that whole plate of food and we'll eat it. So purchase, if you were to get an entire chicken, a pastured chicken, right, for between 15 to $25, right, for the amount of money it costs for one meal at a restaurant, you could take that chicken, you'll get two thighs, two legs, two wings, two breasts, uh, the entire carcass to make a stock with, right? So you'll get 10 meals out of the one chicken as opposed to one dish at a restaurant. So if we did the math, 10 meals at a local restaurant, let's say $25 uh, a meal, it's $250. That's not including tax and tip. Or one chicken. I know it's... We're crazy. We're like, I don't have the money to buy food, <laughs> right? And we spend money on other things we're not even calculating, where we can save so much money. 
you know, and like also when you're making the meal, then you can, you know, like for me, the restaurant portions of protein are always so big. It's more than my body can handle. You know, for me, three to four ounces works really great. But anytime I go to a restaurant, they're going to plop eight to 10 ounces of bird in front of me, right? That's not naturally raised which is a, not a good thing. So if you can, purchase the whole animal. I had a, a friend who purchased, her and her family, they live down in Louisiana, and they went in with another family, and they purchased an entire cow between the four families. And I think it was $400, and they had meat for a whole year. A year. <laughs> right? Holy cow, literally. <laughs> so once you get some of these habits into your, your diet and your lifestyle, right? then becoming healthy is not so expensive. It becomes more reasonable. You could save money when you're getting healthy by eating at home, purchasing great quality food, making sure the animals are naturally raised, the food is naturally raised, all that stuff, because everything is going to become you. And if everything is going to become you, then get cooking. Right? That's a great way to save money. And also, when you're cooking, there's, there's something in home-cooked food that's not in any other food that you're going to find, and that's love, right? Love and intention. There's a reason why grandma's chicken soup always healed, right? The cold. So the little kid would get a cold, uh, at least, you know, when I was a little kid, and the grandma would be like, oh, here's the soup, and miracle. <laughs> 24 hours later, the cold is gone, right? Because she was cooking not only with better quality ingredients, you know, back in the 60s, it was still much more natural than it is now, uh, better quality ingredients, and, um, and she was cooking with intention. Intention, putting her love into the food, right? You know, like we are just these balls of energy, and we're always emanating energy and absorbing energy. Really, you know, we're, uh, we're amazing creatures. So, like, when you're cooking for someone, especially for you single gals or single guys out there, if you're cooking with love intention, as soon as the person that you're cooking for eats your meal, they're totally going to want to marry you. <laughs> they're going to be like, oh, my God, I totally love this person. <laughs> That's what happened to me. I cooked a couple of meals for my guy. Next thing you know, boom, marriage. Right? <laughs> so get cooking. Because cooking, you're going to know exactly what ingredients are going into your food. You're going to choose the best quality. You're going to be able to put your love and intention into the food. And everybody's going to taste that and feel that. Right? And you're going to get to know your food on an intimate level. I want you to really start to develop an intimate relationship with your food an intimate relationship with your food. When you are um, in the womb, you're eating through your belly button. And in ancient philosophy, they say that when you're born from your mother and you come here to the earth, the earth becomes your mother, right? Because you're still eating everything that you eat, right? Is becoming part of this belly system. <laughs> so think about the earth as your mother and make sure you're making sure the best quality food is going in. The best energy is going in. So, you can't buy that love in the grocery store and at another restaurant. You can only get it at, at your home. So how many people think that they can do some of this stuff? Yeah, everybody, right? Not so hard. <laughs> so I want you to remember 
to um, choose the best quality food and encourage your clients to choose the best quality food. You are worth it. They are worth it. They just need to be uh, re-encouraged, re-encouraged that they're worth it. So when you spend your money on your food, you're making an investment in your overall life and in your health, right? Think of that, that you're making the greatest investment. Whenever you go shopping, you're making the greatest investment because you're investing in you on a really deep and cellular level. And you're worth every single dollar you put into your body. And you're worth every ounce of energy and every ounce of love that you take to do self-care. Right? Hi. Are you ready to dive into this year? Now that you've had a taste of the IIN experience and what we're all about, we have some tips to help make sure you leave this program feeling successful. As you move through the course, it's important to honor what works best for you. That said, we have five tips that will help you along the way. We want you to offer yourself the same thing you would offer a client. Just like you will hold space and provide tools to support a client's transformation, this course holds space and offers tools to support your transformation, whatever that looks like for you. Let's dive into this with the first tip. Number one, practice unconditional presence. Practicing unconditional presence means accepting who you are and your bio-individual learning process. It means observing emotions, thoughts, and reactions to what you learn without judgment. It means allowing yourself as much time as you need to absorb information and get what you want out of it. It means listening to and honoring your needs and creating space for this course in ways that work for you. This includes creating a supportive study space, both physically and mentally. You can set up a consistent space or several options. For example, a room in your home and a local coffee shop where you can be fully present with the course. Practicing unconditional presence also means trusting the process. This is a common phrase in the coaching world, and it's one you'll be very familiar with soon if you're not already. Trusting the process means slowing down, letting go of expectations, and remaining open to the experience. It means recognizing that you might not know what the endpoint is, and that it doesn't really matter. It's more about the journey. We realize that no matter how excited you are about this course, you likely have a lot going on outside of it. Practicing unconditional presence can help you manage overwhelm. Practicing unconditional presence also helps set you up for the rest of our tips. Number two, adopt a beginner's mind. We're going to spend a little time with this idea as it's a key part of the IIN learning experience. Adopting a beginner's mind means being curious and willing to change the way you think about something. It means questioning assumptions, biases, and beliefs. Have you ever been in a class or at an event and found yourself tuning out or getting frustrated because you already knew everything about the topic? Our brains like to take the easiest route. Why waste time focusing on what we already know? Well, 
because if we pay attention, we will probably engage with the material differently than we did last time. We also might notice something new. Have you ever walked down a street you've walked down a million times and simply looked up for the first time? You might have seen rooftop gardens you didn't know existed or fruit hanging from trees. Maybe you took time to really study the details of a building. Looking at things with a different perspective allows us to notice new elements. We're all constantly changing and continually acquiring new information. The beauty of being re-exposed to an idea is that we gain new perspectives and we can assimilate them into what we already know. Repeated exposure to an idea allows you to understand it in different ways and from deeper levels. Think about learning a new skill. It takes time to really get how to do it. Learning how to do it multiple times helps you consider different ways of approaching it. The same goes for learning information. Circling back multiple times helps you look at the information from different angles and make connections that you might not have seen the first time around. Throughout the process, your brain makes new connections as well. This is the cornerstone of acquiring wisdom, which is why you'll see that we frequently return to the same concepts throughout the course. It takes time for your brain to assimilate information and experiences, and it takes time to develop insights. Wisdom is achieved when all of these things take root. So, yes, you might already be familiar with some topics included in the curriculum. But here's the thing. We want you to think about them differently. Allow yourself to explore judgment-free and recognize that it's perfectly okay and often beneficial to change your mind. You may find that your goals, beliefs, and approaches shift as you evolve. It's part of the continual growing process. Think critically about what's true for you while accepting that your truth may be radically different than what's true for others. We're all individuals, and that means that we're all coming from different places. You'll also see that we present multiple perspectives throughout the course. This is because we want to encourage your ability to hold space for ideas that seem to contradict each other. This can be quite challenging, and there are biological reasons why. You see, your brain is primed to protect you by avoiding stressful situations. So, for example, if something goes against what you believe, you might feel threatened by it. Your brain also wants to take the easiest, most efficient route. So, if it has to juggle two ideas that seem to oppose one another, it's going to figure out how to get rid of one of those ideas in order to move forward. We get it. Not having a clear answer can create anxiety. However, we also want you to recognize that it's not only okay, it's important to hold two ideas that seem to conflict with one another. Because when it comes to health, especially with nutrition, there's no one clear answer. We're all bio-individuals. We have unique needs and we're continually changing. What works for one person may not work for another. Therefore, being able to hold different ideas helps us learn and grow. We also present multiple perspectives because we want you to be comfortable with ambiguity. Respecting different theories and different qualities in yourself, 
like recognizing that a behavior can be health-promoting on one hand and go against personal values or preferences on the other hand helps you bring this awareness to people you coach. After all, there's no one right way. It's about meeting people where they are and honoring where you are. Sometimes it's not about finding a middle ground or even compromising. It's about widening your perspective and considering the bigger picture in order to hold multiple ideas. This brings us to the next tip. Number three, focus on the big picture. Here at IIN, we approach health holistically as a mind, body, emotion, and even soul experience. We take a whole person view. Why? Because when it comes to health, the sum is greater than the parts. It's important for you to think about the health coach training program this way. You're not expected to know everything, and you don't have to remember everything. We simply want you to focus on larger themes and make broad connections. One recurring theme you'll see in the course is going back to basics. For example, eating more whole foods and creating more space for movement, rather than getting caught up in the detailed nuances of diet and lifestyle. Whether you're working on your own health or supporting others with their health, you'll find that focusing on simple basics can work wonders. Keep returning to the bigger picture and notice overall patterns rather than getting stuck in the details. This is what health coaches do, and this will help you navigate the curriculum. View the content as a whole and take a step back when you find yourself getting caught up in the details. Constructing bottom lines for yourself is great practice for doing the same for clients. Number four, take the lead. One thing that makes this course so unique is that we not only present a wide array of content, we then ask you to apply that content in the moment. The Health Coach Training Program is an experiential course. You will continually practice what you learn. IAN is self-led. We're empowering you to find your own path, not only in terms of your health, but in terms of how you spread the ripple effect. It's up to you to figure out how to integrate what you learn into your life and the lives of those you support. IIN is unlike other health coach training programs because we expose you to so many ideas. We do that because we want to inspire you to research and explore more on your own. This program is self-directed. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure. Again, there's no one right path. There's only the path that you want to create for yourself. Finally, IIN is community-based. Take every opportunity to connect with the IIN community. It's up to you to take what we offer and run with it. For example, you can start your own Facebook group for health coaches in your area or join networking groups of IIN alumni. We also offer live events that we highly encourage you to attend. Here's what one of our graduates had to say about this. We're not alone. That We have a huge community here, and there's people that are supporting the, uh, the movement. And I think it's huge uh, to be part of uh, the live weekends because it brings you back to the excitement that it's a community that's uh, ready to make a difference. 
Our students often say that joining such a passionate and supportive community is one of their favorite parts of the course. We are a tribe of like-minded people, so share your voice. The more you practice getting out there and empowering yourself, the stronger your foundation for helping others do the same. Number five, honor the process of transformation. Many people come to IAN wanting to learn about nutrition and health coaching, and they likely carry many health beliefs with them. Along the way, many students experience their own personal health transformations, as well as, or even instead of, professional transformation. That's normal. It's up to you where you want to invest your energy. It's also important to trust the process, respect your bio-individuality, and empower yourself. Transformation is about the journey, not the destination. It's about releasing perfectionism, taking small, consistent steps, and building awareness and self-trust. This is what leads to sustainable overall wellness. Here are some thoughts from an IAN graduate on this. Being in the moment and uh, um, and being okay with that, you know, not every day is going to be perfect and not day, you know, it's progress over perfection. It's another thing that I just practice every day now and just accepting that, you know, not every day I'm going to be able to meditate or exercise or eat kale, but you know what? Progressively, it's going to make a, a really big change for me uh, over the, the course of a lifetime. So, so that's uh, implementing like or giving different habits to myself to every day to uh, continuously is big. Again, the most valuable practice you can adopt is trying it. Experiment. Try different approaches and strategies and adapt based on what works and doesn't work for you. Okay, let's review these five tips. Practice unconditional presence. Adopt a beginner's mind. Focus on the big picture. Take the lead. And honor the process of transformation. The most important thing to remember is that you're here for a reason. And that reason was meaningful enough to motivate your commitment. These tips will simply provide more fuel throughout your learning journey. Let's hear from one more IIN graduate. We, oh gosh, there's so many things I want to say. <laughs> we, the movement itself, the health coaching movement is just so important for the world, for, for everyone. No matter where you come from in the world, it's so important for people to get back to basics, get back to grandma's way of cooking and and living and just being a powerful force and speaking for people who don't have a voice. Whether or not you want to pursue health coaching, you will leave this program a health coach because you had plenty of opportunities to practice a self-coaching mindset. Take opportunities to explore your bio-individual needs and tap into your innate body wisdom. After all, you are your first client. You're entering an experiential learning experience. You'll practice applying holistic wellness strategies to yourself so that if you choose, you can support others from a more grounded place. Self-growth requires self-support. Okay, how are you feeling? 
Do you feel like you can be successful in this course? Well, we know you'll be successful and we're here to support you along the way. Now that you have a basic idea of what the health coach training program is all about, you're going to take a step back and check in with your internal compass, your intention for taking this course. Before you try this, let's start with a brief overview. We'll look at what intentions are, why they're important, and why getting clear on them will help you get to where you want to be. So, what are intentions anyway, and why are they important? Here are six ways to think about them. An intention is a mindset or way of being. An intention connects to a greater purpose. An intention aligns with your authentic self. An intention focuses on the feeling. An intention is about the journey, not the destination. And finally, an intention provides the foundation for effective goals. First, an intention is a mindset or way of being. Goals are more about doing. Intentions are more about being. Goals are more externally based, while intentions are more internally based. While goals are about moving toward the future, intentions are about moving toward the future and being present during the journey. In other words, they're connected with who and how you want to live your life. For example, your goal might be to earn a particular income, while your intention could be that you want to feel abundant. Income is a tangible result, while abundance is a mindset or a way of being. It doesn't have to be tied to a specific income level. It's more about envisioning a holistic sense of fullness and living in a way that makes that fullness a daily reality. We'll return to this abundance intention throughout the video. Next, an intention connects to a greater purpose. Unlike goals, you don't move toward intentions in a linear fashion. It's more about the energy that you're putting out there. For example, your intention might relate to what you want to contribute to the larger world. If your intention is to feel abundant, maybe you want to feel financially abundant in order to be able to support people you care about. Or maybe, if you want to feel abundant in terms of time, you want to be able to spend more time volunteering. Do you see how in both cases the intention is expansive? Mission statements are kind of like intentions. Our mission statement here at IIN is to play a crucial role in improving health and happiness and through that process, create a ripple effect that transforms the whole world. This mission statement is broad and focused on the bigger picture. It describes how IIN wants to make a difference. Third, an intention aligns with your authentic self. Creating an intention requires tapping into your personal desires and values. What's really important to you? After all, the intention acts as your internal compass, guiding you toward how and where you want to be. If it's not aligned with who you are, it won't be very effective in getting you there. Returning to the abundance intention, Abundance has many different value currencies. For example, feeling abundant could mean having plenty of money, time, or connection. 
It's up to you to choose what abundance means to you and to align your life in ways that elicit feelings of abundance. This is what heart-centered intentions are all about. Which brings us to our next point. An intention focuses on feelings. An intention is an affirmation of how you want to feel. It's a decision that you make based on what you want for your future. When you create an intention, you're painting a picture of your ideal life so that you can step into it fully. Though goals are rooted in emotions, intentions bring those core emotions to the surface. If your intention is abundance, you might associate abundance with things like freedom and connection. Digging deeper, what feelings are attached to freedom and connection? Maybe joy, love, or serenity. Maybe optimism or acceptance. Emotions ultimately fuel everything we do. That's one reason why intentions can be powerful forces in our lives. They connect us with our core feelings. Another way to think about an intention is that it's about the journey, not the destination. Intentions provide general roadmaps of how you want to live your life on a daily basis. Unlike goals, you don't have a specific set of steps. You just have a general sense. If your intention is to feel abundant, you would probably set goals in order to reach tangible milestones. Hopefully, hitting those goals would increase your feelings of abundance. Yet, unlike reaching each goal, you never reach your intention. It continues to guide you, no matter how many goals you hit. And, like the wind, it continually shifts based on what happens in the sea of life. And last, an intention provides the foundation for effective goals. An intention is essentially the mindset that fuels the consistent actions required to achieve a goal. Intentions are powerful. They're very much tied to personal values, and they also reinforce your belief in your potential. Daily connection with an authentic, inspiring intention is a key to reaching your goals and ultimately embodying the feelings you want to feel. On a practical level, an intention helps keep you accountable. It keeps you on track by offering focus and motivation. It also helps you make better decisions and prioritize your time. Once you're clear on what you want and where you're headed, it's easier to know what's most important now. If your intention is to feel abundant, you would set particular goals that align with that. In other words, you would set goals that increase feelings of abundance, whatever abundance means to you. Like your intention, those goals would align with your personal values. As you worked toward them, you would continually connect with abundance, which would fuel your motivation to reach your goals. That's why getting clear on your intention right from the start is essential to getting the most out of this program. The more clarity you have, the more focused you can be in your personal or professional development. If you don't connect with the why behind your intention, you're much less likely to feel a sense of urgency propelling you forward. Know that we're here to support you in getting clear on your intention. We'll keep circling back to this throughout the curriculum to help you connect with your larger purpose and vision. We also encourage you to continually check in with yourself. Clarity often organically increases over time, 
And sometimes all you need to do is tune into growing awareness. Remember that it's totally fine for your intention to shift across the year. Our goal right now is just to identify a starting point. As always, bioindividuality applies here. Your intention is yours, no one else's. It's incredibly draining to work toward goals and feelings that aren't true for you. So make sure you're being honest about what really matters to you. Your intention is tied to your personal values, circumstances, experiences, and goals. No one can tell you what your intention should be. Otherwise, it will be very difficult to stick to it. And remember, there are no right or wrong intentions. You don't need anyone else's approval when setting them. Okay, let's recap intentions. An intention is a mindset or way of being. Connects to a greater purpose. Aligns your authentic self. Focuses on the feeling. Is about the journey, not the destination. And provides the foundation for effective goals. Here at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, we understand that your energy is precious and that embarking upon a new career or way of living isn't the only responsibility you have in your life. That's why we'll be here to guide you through this process to make it as simple and fulfilling as possible. Until next time. Intentions are about who and how you are in the moment, as well as where you want to be. Daily connection with an authentic, inspiring intention is key to reaching your goals and, ultimately, embodying the feelings you want to feel. Let's take a moment right now to try setting an intention. You have a handout that walks you through this, along with some tips, but try this for now. Close your eyes if you feel comfortable. Take a few deep breaths and tune into yourself. Think about your reasons for being here. What is it that you are looking to achieve and learn? For example, do you want to become a healthier version of yourself? Support others with their health? Become a part-time or full-time health coach? Create a healthy product? Write a book? If you're stuck on what your intention is, consider the following questions. What brought you to IIN? Where would you like to go? What are your dreams? How would you like to feel when you reach your dreams? Be brazenly honest and unapologetic about how you want to feel and feel it throughout your entire body and mind. You don't have to be embarrassed about what you want. What would radically change your life? No intention is too big. When you fully shine your light, you give others permission to do the same. Pause the video now and take all the time you need with this. Then write down some ideas. I'll be here when you're ready to continue. Now, look at your responses. Looking at your answers all together, can you form an intention? It's okay to have multiple intentions, but for now, try to get super focused on this one intention. Boil it down to one sentence so you can articulate exactly what you'd like to achieve. Whatever drew you to be here in this moment is powerful, 
That's the force that will push you forward when things get challenging. Here are a few tips that might help. You might find it helpful to phrase your intention as an I will or I am statement. For example, I will become a part-time health coach or I am strong and capable of living in financial abundance. Steer clear of try, which can be disempowering. Own your intention fully. For example, rather than writing, I will try to be fulfilled in my relationships, write, I will be fulfilled in my relationships. And focus on the feeling. Pause the video now to write down your intention statement. strategy for gaining clarity is to use the words in order to after your intention. For example, let's say that your intention is to become a health coach. This is a very broad intention. Health coaches support a wide variety of clients with an even broader variety of health goals. Instead of striving to help everyone with everything, drill down into your intention by finishing this phrase. I want to become a health coach in order to Maybe you want to become a health coach full-time in order to inspire busy women to explore small shifts that increase their overall well-being. Do you see the difference there? The new intention is specific. It sets a roadmap for your dream that has direction. Of course, you may find that completing the statement in order to still leaves you with a broad statement. If that's the case, you can simply repeat the exercise and write the words in order to after your new statement. Continue digging deeper until you hit the core of your intention. When you've hit on a powerful feeling and greater purpose, you're probably there. Here's a clip of Joshua using this strategy as he coaches an IAN student. Take a moment and just look inside. What on a deeper level is your intention? I want to connect with um, as many people as I can while I'm here. In order to... Be inspired by their stories. In order to... Be inspired myself. In order to... Grow. In order to... <laughs> to... Just to go on my own journey and go down, continue to go down my path. And where do you think you want that path to lead to? <laughs> Anywhere. <laughs> Did you notice how she still doesn't seem entirely clear at the end? You might not have clarity right away, and that's perfectly okay. It's okay to not know. Maybe you're still not entirely sure why you're here taking this course. Maybe something in the program or our mission at IIN just clicked with you. Maybe you have no idea what your greater purpose is. Often you have to figure out what you don't want in order to figure out what you do want. Kind of like when you're looking for a partner or a new job. Sometimes it's just a feeling, right? Again, this is why it's helpful to gain clarity with the in order to exercise. Here's an example. I will learn more about health in order to improve my health, in order to feel vibrant in old age, in order to travel around the world, in order to feel fulfilled and live a long, independent life. 
Let's use this idea for the next part of the exercise. Let's go deeper into the why of your intention. Look at your intention statement written on your paper and consider why you want this intention to become your reality. Below your intention, write the words in order to. You may find that completing the statement in order to still leaves you with a broad statement. If that's the case, simply repeat the exercise again and write the words in order to after your new statement. Continue pushing yourself to answer the prompt in order to until you hit the core of your intention. Get creative with this. Allow the thoughts and feelings to flow freely. Pause the video now to try this. Where did you arrive? Again, it's okay if you still feel unclear. This might be your first time trying something like this. Still, I want to urge you to take one more action toward bringing your attention into reality. Write a final intention statement on a post-it note or piece of paper and post it in places you'll see it every day. Now, think of someone you can share your intention with. Who can keep you accountable to this? Don't choose someone who is quick to judge or tell you how they think you should do things. Choose a cheerleader who will support you 100%. Go ahead and write this person's name down right now. We'll be back to touch base on your intention and your goals later in the curriculum. Until then, continue to align yourself with your intention on a regular basis. There's no time like the present. This year is going to fly by. If you know what you want to get out of it and you're focused on that intention, you will get so much more out of this program. Know that as you grow and change, your intentions might change as well. That's all part of the process. We want to inspire you to not just be open, but to believe that you can change the world. Think of the ripple effect. You can make a difference in so many lives especially if you align with your intention. The take home is this. You need to create an intention that's uniquely yours. And the intention needs to inspire and inform your actions every day. Hi, I'm Jim with the education department. You may notice as you move through the curriculum that we present you with many diagrams and visuals to engage your senses and appeal to a variety of learning styles. One such visual is the Golden Path. The Golden Path is designed to serve as a roadmap to success. It's there to keep you focused on the big picture of your journey as a student at Integrative Nutrition and to provide some clarity as to the main components you should be focusing on this year. As you move through the curriculum, each step of the Golden Path will be presented to you in order. For each step of the Golden Path, Notes will be provided in the curriculum modules, complete with assignments, exercises, and tips pertaining to that topic. At the end of the program in Module 40, the full path will be revealed to you and you'll have all the tools you need for continued success. We understand it might feel overwhelming at times to assimilate and put into action the many concepts and theories and techniques that you will be introduced to in the coming months. It's easy to get caught up in the details, even lost in the details. But remember... 
use the golden path to stay grounded, to recenter your efforts, and to keep yourself clear and focused on the big picture. I hope you enjoy exploring the first step of the golden path. Talk to you soon. The golden path is step one. Step one, identify your intention. Create a roadmap for your future. Here at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, we're beyond proud of you for enrolling this program and taking a giant step toward reaching your goals. We understand that your energy is precious and embarking on a new career or way of living isn't the only responsibility you have in your life. That's why we'll be here to help make this process as simple as and fulfilling as possible. Intentions paired with clarity is the driving force behind goals. That's why getting clear on your intention right from the start is essential to getting the most out of this program. An intention is a guiding principle of how you want to live your life. It bridges where you are now with where you want to be in the future. An intention offers focus and motivation. It helps you make better decisions and prioritize your time. Once you're clear and what, on what you want and where you're headed, it's easier to know what's most important now. Your intention will likely change as you grow and your life evolves, but you have some starting point and a roadmap. You can easily course correct. Assignment, clarify your intention. Getting clear on your intention requires creating a safe space for your mind to play with an idea and explore any what-ifs that exist. Shaping your intention can feel messy, but creating a visual can help you see connections and make meaning. Choose one of the following exercises to help clarify your intention. Action step number one, mind mapping. Mind mapping is a powerful tool to visually and especially capture ideas and feelings on paper so you can become clear about what really matters to you. By creating a physical space for your goals to live, you also open up the possibility to return to your ideas again and again to explore tangents or find inspiration that will reinvigorate goals that feel stale. Choose an intention you'd like to explore and create a mind map to play with the possibilities. Number one, in the center of the page, write or draw the intention you created while watching the intentions video. Begin branching out from your intention to capture the key ideas you can use word symbols, codes, or images to convey meaning. Draw a line to connect these ideas back to the central idea. Use multiple color to code or group thoughts. Branch out from the key ideas into their code ideas. Explore the possibilities that exist. Even if they aren't directly connected to your current intention, you might choose to return to your map when you are in search of inspiration for a new projects or initiatives. Leave no stone unturned and add whatever ideas come to mind, even if they seem unrealistic right now. 
one of the best part of mind mopping is that your mop is nearly is never really done keep your mop in a journal or other safe space return to regular return to it regularly to to flesh out and explore tangents and add new ideas that pop up into your mind over time. Another strategy for gaining clarity is to use the words in order to after your intentions. For example, let's say that your intention is to become a health coach. This is a very broad intention. Health coach support a wide variety of clients with an even broader variety of health coach health goals instead of striving to help everyone with everything drill down into your intention by finishing this phrase i want to become a health coach in order to write down the intention you created during the intentions video write down the words in order to below your intention you may find that completing the statement in order to still leaves you with a broad statement if that's the case, simply repeat the exercise again and write the word in order too after your new statement. Continue pushing yourself to complete the prompt in order too until you hit the core of your intention. Remember, daily connection with an authentic, inspiring intention is the key to reaching your goals and ultimately embodying the feelings you want to feel. A meaningful intention is uniquely yours. It's very much tied to personal values and to and it reinforces your belief in your potential.